0: The book of Luke, chapter 1, beginning with verse 34. And Mary asked the angel, But how can this be? I am a virgin. And the angel replied, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called The Son of God. What's more, Mary, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God.
1: Amen. True.
0: And Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, precious Holy Father, dear you are to us. I thank you for this baby, for yourself come to earth and sacrifice and love for us may we say as mary said may everything that you desire of us come to pass Mm. use us lord we are yours use our hands our feet our voice the very countenance on our face may it shine for you and lord this morning i pray for baden as he leaves us and goes on to another season And thank you so much that you sent him here for us to learn from him and him to learn from us. And oh, precious one, Josh Hall, how dear he already is to us. The hearts that he has helped to mend, uh, the relationships that he has built, the love that he has shown to this area. Amen. We thank you, Lord, all of us gathered here Some of us sad because things have happened. It's not quite the Christmas maybe that we had thought of, but maybe we were sidetracked on what Christmas really means because it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. We love you, and in your holy name I pray, and thank you for the cross we don't ever, ever want to forget. I love you. Amen.
1: Amen. You may be seated. Wow. Thank you, sweet Ruthie. I love you, I love you, baby. You're precious. Precious. Wow. Oh, my. Beautiful. Matthew chapter 2. Magi in the east in Persia saw a star in the western sky. They're in the east, the star is in the west. These were men who made their living reading the stars. They'd predict your future. They'd tell what kind of person you're going to be, the kind of life you're going to live when you were born. Everything was about the stars. And so tonight night they read the stars. And they had the old scrolls of Israel. When Israel was sent off into captivity, they brought the scrolls with them. And there was a prediction in Numbers that there would be a star and a scepter. And so when the star appears in the western sky far away The farthest away to the west, a thousand miles to the west from Persia, the farthest you can go and still be on land is Israel. The next thing is the Mediterranean Sea. Due west. So these men who were the religious counselors of the kings of Persia decide that this must be a part of the fulfillment. And so they decide to come toward that star to see if they can find the king that has been born. So they come, making their 1,000-mile trek, coming to Israel, the westernmost point, before you step off into the Mediterranean Sea. Now, being astrologers, they followed the star. Being religious men, they came to Jerusalem, which is where the temple was. And being political figures, the religious leaders for the politicians, they also wanted to come to Jerusalem because... Herod was there, the king of the Jews. And then, once they got there, because they were wise men, when the leaders of Israel brought out the scrolls and said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, since they were really wise, they obeyed the Bible and left Jerusalem headed south. And that brings us to verse 9. Matthew chapter 2, verse 9. Matthew chapter 2, verse 9. After hearing King Herod, they went on their way, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went on ahead of them until they came to a stop over the place where the child was to be found. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, this star is a mystery to us. We don't understand it. Was it moving all across the sky? Did they see it in the sky? Was it different? We don't know. But we do know after they saw Herod, they came out of the king's palace, and the star was down low. That's why I still think it's a miracle. It might be something else. I don't know. It could be some astronomical explanation. But for me, I just think it's a miracle because now this star that they have either seen, followed, or whatever, if it moved, whatever that they've come to now, it is down close to the ground over a specific spot. So I think it is an absolute miracle. I call this star the king's chamberlain. It is the instrument that God used to usher these magi, these religious leaders, into the presence of the king. And they had been impressed with the star, but now they were getting ready to see the real light. In the 1991 Baptist Tymnal, We Three Kings, the song We Three Kings made it in there. It says, Star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. I think that word light should be capitalized because it's a reference to Jesus. What they're saying is, You thought you were impressed with the light in the sky at night, this star. They're saying, what the songwriter is saying is, but when you finally got to Bethlehem and you looked at the baby, now you saw the real light. Don't ever forget. The first thing God said in creation was, let there be light. And there was light, there was day, there was night. Vegetation was created. It was not until the fourth day that God created the sun, and the moon, and the stars. Every time a light comes on, you see an artificial representation of what God is. He's the one who gives life. He's the one who explains. He's the one who sheds light on truth. Everything that light does. We pay a lot of money for these lights. Because light is really important. And these Magi, they came following what they thought was the main light. But when they got there and saw the baby, they saw the real light. In creation, what you see is the essence of God manifest. Uh, scientists tell us that the earth is billions of years old. I, I'm not a scientist. I don't, that's not my deal. I don't go there. But my guess is when we measure something and we measure it as being billions of years old, my guess is we're not measuring the substance as much as we're measuring the one who created it. He's the one who's billions of years old. He's the one who put himself in the creation. When we see anything beautiful, natural in the creation, we're seeing him. When the light comes on, it's an artificial representation, representation of him. He is. The beautiful, lovely one. Now, this brings us to the most bewildering part of this story. Now, you've never thought of this. But to me, the oddest thing in this story is not that Magi came from Persia. The oddest thing in this story is not Herod's reaction. The weirdest thing going on here is not that they knew where Micah 5.2 was. Here's the strangest thing of all about this story. You ready? Here we go. They left Jerusalem to go find the baby and nobody went with them. It's exactly five miles from Herod's palace to Bethlehem. That's the exact same distance from this building to Highway 14 in the middle of Nixa. That's how that's all it is. Five miles from Herod's palace into Bethlehem, a little bit of village. That's exactly how far it is. These are men who came from Persia. The Bible was brought out and told them where the Messiah would be born. All of, everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. Remember, the whole city is scared to death. Everybody knows. Herod knows. Everybody, the religious leaders, everybody knows. And nobody went with them. It's bewildering. And this little moment helps us as we ponder four reactions to Jesus. You ready to write them down? These are good. You need to write these down. In this little moment, we see four reactions to Jesus. This is very fascinating. Let's ponder this for a moment. Number one, you see hostility. Herod did not go. He was hostile. And many are like him. For those of you that are old enough to remember 9-11, 2001, when the terrorists attacked the two buildings in New York City, the world changed forever that day. I'm a friend of John Ashcroft. And he was the one right here in the United States of America who oversaw for seven weeks, day and night, the response to that as he was Attorney General. He said the world changed forever, and it did in many ways. And one of the ways that the world changed forever in 9-11 was, for the first time, now you ready for this? For the first time, it became politically correct to publicly attack religion. Now, it had happened before. There were people hostile to religion before 9-11. But there's something about that event that now you, you can bash just about anybody, and you'll get in trouble for it. Unless you want to bash a religious group, especially conservative Christians, it's okay. Now why is, it, why is it that this one event on this one day changed everything? Because lost people are unable to distinguish between religions. They, 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 don't, they don't make a distinction between Christians and Muslims and Jews. They, 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 they don't do that. An unbeliever just religion is just this, this conglomeration of things out there. and we all have plenty of we're, we're ashamed of Protestants. We have affairs with women. The pastors do. Catholics, the priests, have the bad experience with the children. The, the Muslims have terrorism to deal with. The Hindus, they have a caste system. People better than others. Some people not as good as others. Just, the list goes on and on and on. Every religion has something wrong with it. And after 9-11, once it became okay to publicly attack religion... All of a sudden, hostility became sort of an accepted thing. It's all right. It's okay to be anti God, anti religion. But here's the point. Now, listen to this old man who remembers before 9 11 and has lived since it. Let me tell you the truth. And now, watch me now. I guarantee you, everyone that you know of that is hostile toward religion is hiding and harboring a sin. They do not want to give up. Every one of them. You'll never find an exception. At the bottom of disobedience, the reason people do not become Christians, and that's what I am, so I'll speak to Christian, to to non-Christians about my faith. The bottom of hostility and resistance against the faith in Christ is always, because down underneath, you get down far enough, you get beneath the anger. You get beneath the hostility. And down in there somewhere, there is a sin. that they refuse to give up. They refuse to say they're sorry for. Do you have to be perfect to be saved? No. There are a lot of people who get saved. And the sin that besets them, drugs, cursing, whatever. They fight it the rest of their lives, many of them do. It's not, it's not some magic pill you take and all of a sudden you get well but you cannot become a christian unless there's sorrow in your heart for your sin unless you make a commitment that you're going to try to give it up you have to do that and that right there is the ultimate thing when it comes to people's hostility toward my faith is down underneath at the bottom there's a sin that's number 1 number 1 is hostility number 2 number 2 the second reaction to jesus the princes and the scribes, the priests and scribes, I'm sorry, the priests and scribes were indifferent. Is it not interesting? These men brought out the scroll of Micah. They brought it out to these Magi. And they opened it to Micah 5 two. They themselves said, five miles from here is where he's going to be born. And yet they did not have enough interest in their own religion to follow the Magi five miles to Bethlehem. They were just indifferent. They were religious more than spiritual. Their religion becomes something they do. They become lackadaisical about their walk with the Lord. And their tribe still stays with us. There are many of you in this room. You never have a private time with the Lord. There are many of you in this room, when summer comes, you'll miss 10, 12 of the 13 Sundays in the summer. Just sort of a lackadaisical spirit. it's, It's not the top priority. There are some of you who decided last night whether or not you'd come to church. It's not a priority enough to where you're going to give yourself to doing that. And the problem is, whenever you see people who are lackadaisical about their religion, there are always people who think they have arrived. They think they're okay. That's why they are the way they are. That's why they're not worried about private time. That's why they're not worried about being faithful in church. They feel they are okay. Well, now, put yourself into position of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. They think they're okay. Why would they listen to pagan priests? Why would they want to listen to these guys who know nothing about the living God The the priest and the scribes, they're professional religiousness in their own right. So why do they need magi? And so their pride becomes the problem. One of the greatest lessons that you can learn as a saint, as a child of God, is that all truth is God's truth, no matter who says it. If something is true, we need to listen. Don't ever forget, God used a donkey one time to talk. And if God used a donkey... He can use Magi. He can use young people. I have a young preacher boy in my family, 18 years old. You ought to hear some of the stuff he has to put up with because he's young. I'm old. I'm 72. Four times older than my grandson. And there are people who disregard me because I'm old. God could speak through a Democrat. God could speak through a Republican. Republican. God can speak through a liberal. God can speak through a conservative. Always be humble. Always be listening. Always be learning. Never think you've arrived. Never think you're better than anybody else. The Puritans said, the Puritans said, the number one most important Christian trait is humility. To always be learning. To always be understanding. There are others who can teach me. There are things I can learn. So that's number two. They were indifferent. Number three. Ready? Number three. The third reaction to Jesus, the crowd was overwhelmed, just burdened with life. Later, the common people would flock to Jesus. They loved him. But right now, Herod's too hard on them. There's too much trouble. There's too many difficulties. They're saddled with evil, Herod. And they, there's just too much stuff going on, and they just cannot for the life of him even take the time to follow some camels Five miles down to Bethlehem. They just cannot do it. Learn a good lesson here. Most people, most Christians believe that the number one reason why non-Christians do not become Christians is because of hypocrites. That is not true. That's not even close. You know, lost people are smarter than you think they are. They, they know you can't be perfect. They give us a little bit more grace than you might think. They'll howl about the hypocrites. They'll talk about them. But the number one reason why non-Christians do not become Christians is not hypocrites. The number one reason, by far, you ready for this? You ready? Is the issue of suffering. Why would a good God let bad things happen to good people? If He is all-loving and all-powerful. And so when people investigate Christianity, this is the biggest barrier they have to overcome. This is the wall that sort of stands here between them and making a decision for Christ. The why question, and as you know, Ruthie and I, we've suffered. We've carried our amount of suffering in this life. And the question mark at the end of the why question, when you turn it upside down, it becomes the fish hook that can rip your heart out. And that's what's wrong with the people here, just the burdens of life. They're under Herod. How how can they think of Bethlehem when Jerusalem is overloading their circuit? And there are some of you, you have friends who are not Christ followers. One of the things you need to do is you need to help them as they struggle with suffering and try to understand that issue. If you're going to give your friends one book to read, you give them Tim Keller's book on suffering. It help Ruthie and me more than anything else we've ever read on suffering. Tim Keller, the Presbyterian pastor, Tim Keller's book on suffering. Helped me more than anything I've read in all the years of dealing with With this issue. So, if you've got someone who's considering the faith, somebody who's pondering, and they're struggling, help them here. They knew, the common people knew, that these men were going to the Christ, to the Messiah, and they would come later, but right now they just could not come. And the tragedy is there are many people who are suffering, going through problems, going through difficulties, and they keep thinking, you know, someday I'm going to make my decision. Someday I'm going to come. this the old song used to say, some more convenient day I'll come. But as time goes by, instead of that day getting closer and closer, somehow it gets farther and farther and farther and farther away, not closer. And so here are people under the burden of life struggling, and they're missing the only thing that could help them have a better life. Isn't interesting? That in the tinsels, toils, and and toys, and, and the trees, we miss the one who can lift us the burdens of life. We overlook the one who can make life better for us. Ruthie and I do not have a clue what we would do were it not for the Lord Jesus Christ. Were He not the one loving us and spilling Himself over us? And carrying us, well, I do know what we do. We become fatalists. Lost people are fatalists. They say, well, that's just what you do. And You grit your teeth and you get through it. We are so grateful for Jesus. And yet there are some people whose lives are so burdened, they're not even going to go to a Christmas Eve service. They're not going to worship the Lord at all. And the tragedy is they're missing the one thing in the Christmas season that could help them. That's number three. Number four, finally. And Sherry has led us this morning on this one so perfectly. Number four, the Magi worshipped. You got the four reactions to Jesus. There's hostility, there's indifference, there's being overwhelmed, but then there's worship. It is interesting. Now follow me closely. Stay with me. These Magi had absolutely nothing to gain by making this trip. They did not come for themselves They said they had come to worship Him. They brought not only a song, and they brought not only gifts, they brought their absolute adoration. It was all about the baby. They're going to go back home. What's the Jewish religion mean to them? What does Judaism mean to Magi, who who are the counselors to the kings of Persia? They have nothing to gain here. And so they came unselfishly to give themselves to this child. Now, I want to ask you a question. Which fascinates you more, God's hands or God's face? Are you more interested in what God will give you, God will do for you, than you are in loving Him and knowing Him and enjoying Him? This is the question that never stops for a believer. I don't care if you're 72 years old and you've been a preacher for 56 years. It doesn't matter. You have to always be asking yourself, do I want His hands or His face more? One of the greatest discoveries of my life was when I found out the real reason for the book of Job. I grew up in church, gone to church my whole life. It's all I've ever known. And for the first half of my life, I thought the purpose of the book of Job was to explain suffering to us. Never got one cotton picking thing out of the book of Job and I believe that. When I thought the purpose of Job was to explain suffering I never learned one thing from the book of Job. But somewhere in the middle of my life someone explained to me that's not the purpose of the book of Job. The purpose of the book of Job is to prove That you can love God only because He's God. Not because He gives you anything. Not because He's good to you. Not because He blesses you. But you can lose your fortune. You can lose everything you have in the world. You can lose your children. And your wife can tell you to curse God and die. And you can say, no. The Lord gave. The Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the whole purpose of Job. And so now when I read Job, I ask myself, could I do that? Do I love his hands or his face more? Could I lose it all and still love Him? And that's why, as I've taught you, I've already taught you, the circle test, every once in a while, you've got to do this, folks. The circle test, I've done this for decades. Every once in a while, you've got to get in your closet. You've got to get alone. You've got to get by yourself. You've got to close your eyes and draw an imaginary circle around your feet. And in your mind's eye, you've got to push everything out. You've got to push your wife, your husband, your children, everything in life, it matters to you. You've got to push it out. Everything. Everything's gotta, everything you possess, everything. You push it out of the circle and you stand there alone you and God and you ask yourself Lord is this enough just you and me could I do this Lord could I live like this could I be like Job every once in a while you need to take the circle test you just stop and you push everything out and you pray and you say Lord if it ever comes to the day where I lose my wife I lose a child I lose my job I lose my house Lord, if it ever happens, will you help me and prepare me? Will you teach me so that when it's all gone, and it's just me and you, will you help me to be okay? Well, it's a great story, isn't it? Magi came a thousand miles. They came with the treasures of earth in their hand but they left for the treasure of heaven in their hearts. And this morning, I ask you, would we have gone the five miles with them? Would we have gone down to Highway 14 in Nixa? Would, would, would we have followed them to find him? But the good news is, we don't have to follow them five miles down to Nixa. We don't have to go anywhere. He is here. And there's probably a few in the room who are Hostile. There's many in the room who are indifferent. Pride has gotten in your life. You just you just like a day school. You think you're okay. There's some of you just so burdened you can hardly breathe. You, you, you're just trying to get through Christmas, much less actually enjoy Christmas. But then number four, all of us can. We can come to this place where we can stand beside the Magi and say, Here we come. Nothing to gain, nothing to earn. Nothing to receive except, Lord, we're just going to stand here in your presence. We're going to love you. And in so doing, we leave with the treasure of heaven. We get the things that we want. We, we understand. We, we see things better. Don't miss, in this season, the one thing that can make it better. And the one thing that can make it better is Jesus. Somebody say amen right there. Amen. Jesus. Don't miss Jesus. All right. Well, you're done for the day, so I'm done. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Put all your papers away. Put all your notes away. Put everything off to the side. Get your hands free so that you can pray. If you're like me, you like to pray with your hands on your face. Pray. You who are believers, pray. Pray. Where did the message meet you? Which of those categories? That's the four reactions. Where are you? Pray that the Lord will move you toward number four, toward worship, toward loving his, his face more even than his hands. Pray that God will do that for you. And now let me speak to you who do not know Jesus. And a crowd decides there's always some who do not know Jesus. And maybe somebody said something this week that changed your mind, maybe something in the music this morning. Wow, wonderful music, maybe something. There's something in the message caused you to think differently and maybe now you're ready I use a little prayer it doesn't save you there's no magic we Christians don't believe in magic we don't have any abracadabra type of stuff we don't do that kind of stuff words matter in our relationship with God only if they are really rising up from a spirit underneath they, they, they are merely an extension of what's really happening in the heart so if in your heart right now you do Want to give your life to Jesus. You are sorry for your sin. You do want to turn. You do want to walk with him. You do want to worship him. If this little prayer will help you. If it truly says what you want to say. And need to say. Would you repeat it silently. As I pray it out loud. Here it is. Dear Jesus. I am sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. Come live in my heart. I receive you as the master of my life. Amen.